Hi, this is uh, Jonathan with the uh, Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and I have with me Mr. Let me see if I get this right, Anthony uh, Scandariato. I know that was great. Well, maybe because we practiced ten times before. Yeah, <laughs> or I tried, tried. Yeah. <laughs> or you just um, good. Cool, cool. So essentially, what I wanted to do with this set of interviews, you know, beginning. Uh, 2021 was to interview experienced operators uh, that are out there, people who have done done the thing before, um, to kind of learn some of the the habits, the you know, oh, I wish I'd done known this, I would have done it this way, uh, or this is what we do, and pull out some additional traits. I think um, you know, uh, someone says success, success leaves clues. I believe that was Jim Rohn. Uh, I think it was Jim Rohn. Um, so. I want to kind of pull that out and have that conversation. And so thank you very much for having that conversation. With that being the case, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself and kind of how you got into multifamily? Sure thing. No, thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me on your show. So um, how I got into multifamily. So I essentially, I had a startup even before real estate. So take a step back. I had a startup company with um, actually in college and uh, with a couple of partners and uh, I was in a completely different space. Consumer what kind of space were you products in? And it was in like uh, consumer products and retail. It was like sunglasses and sweaters, colleges, for colleges. Um, so, you know, it was something I was kind of interested in. It was kind of cool, but at the same time, I, I was missing something. So um, I was able to step back from that and pursue real estate. So I got a job at another operator um, after I left that, that company. And um, they were focusing on. Uh, the operator was focused on um, Class A multi-tenant office. Okay. So it was it was kind of kind of a bear, at least what you know people are thinking of right now uh, during COVID um, of an asset class. Uh, I just thought it was really interesting if I can kind of understand office. I think it's a very challenging asset class. Um, if I can understand that, I think I could understand other asset classes pretty pretty easily. Maybe hotels are very very difficult too, but. Um, you know, multi-industrial. Can I ask another question real quick? Yeah. So you had a startup that was in the whole retail space, right? Um, for colleges and universities and things of that sort, selling, you know, eyeglasses and other things. What made you say, I want to go class A, you know, uh, commercial real estate from, from, from that retail space? I, I, I'm not a product guy. I'm okay. just not a, I'm not a, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a service-based guy. Um, okay. And that's kind of why I got into the real estate business. Um, that was, that was really what drew the line to answer your question. Got it. So was able to, you know, to, to make that transition pretty easily because there's a lot of transferable skills to the real estate industry that I learned. Sure. Um, entrepreneurship, real estate, as you know, Jonathan, very um, entrepreneurial. So to some extent, um, so uh, I worked, like I said, for another sponsor, understood office, did a lot of deals there, um, helped, you know, raise capital there, help property manage, help asset manage, helped pretty much do everything um, and, and learned uh, a lot. So at the same time, how did I get into multifamily was I was buying some smaller duplexes on the side while I was working. Got it. And then it got, I met my who's my current business partner now. I, I met him while I was working. Um, and we able, we were able to buy some properties together and 
do some nice refis and a couple sales. Um, so we were building up a track record and that's kind of when we got into the larger 50 plus units, which I know you specialize in as well, um, syndication sort of model. So that's, uh, that's what we, you know, focus on today. And we're based out of the um, New York, New York Metro area. We have um, 200 units currently in our holdings. It's about 25 million AUM and uh, we're picking up another 50 units um, in September. Actually, I'm sorry, another 60 units in September. Um, so we'll have, you know, close to 300 by September. Okay. So this is very interesting. There's a bunch of questions I have. So sure. you, you got your start buying, you know, some duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, right? Some smaller multifamily, you know, residential kinds of things, things that you actually can go out and get an FHA loan for, um, for those people that are, I think you may be doing some house hacking. That might be a way to do that. Were you house hacking? Um, I still house hack. Oh, there you go. So you guys were house hacking and that, that got, got you in. But my next question is, you know, you didn't go, you, you went small and then you went big. I mean, would you have gone bigger out the, out the gate or do you think going smaller and then going bigger into, you know, 50 plus units is, is better? Yeah, I think there are many different ways to skin the cat. So you could have partnered up with another, I could have partnered up with another operator on a bigger deal, maybe help them raise some capital or whatever. Right. Um, I just, I just thought it was, I just thought if I can kind of learn everything by working for somebody else and then, also, when it's my own money involved now, if I can learn what I can, you know, kind of on my own, learn how to deal with tenants, how to deal with contractors, um, and have my own skin in the game, I think it's, it was definitely different. Um, so that's... So you could actually feel it. You know, you could feel the decision. You actually feel it. Yeah, you could feel the, the pain, but it wasn't, it wasn't pain. So um, how I got into multifamily was that first duplex I bought returned me 20% of my money the first year. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is nice. Yeah, you so know? That's real nice, yeah. <laughs> so um, just the ball kind of kept rolling from there. And, I, I, you know, after that, I bought another duplex, uh, but I brought on another investor with me, split it 50-50, and we, we sold it. We made like a 40% return in a year. And, uh, and then I, I met my business partner now where we started to buy bigger and bigger and bigger. So when you were doing that, that duplex, you were just working for that class A multifamily, that person who was that operator, is that, was that one of your partners when you went into your first 50 unit or so? No. Um, so how the, did you find that partner? Uh, my business partner today. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that the same one you bought your first 50 unit with? Oh, sure. So the first fit, so I'll, let me take a step back. So okay. I started with this, this, this was the gravitation. So it was a two, a two, a two, a 10, a 10, a 13, a 20. So it was about, it was about 70 total. And then that was just between my a partnership with me and my business partner. And that was it. 50 in December, that was about 20 people. 20 investors. So yeah. that's, that's how that was structured. So I'll take it now. We got another 70, another 50. That's again, the same thing. It's 20, 20 yeah. investors. Okay. So your current business partner has been with you kind of since day one. Since day one. Yep. How did, how did you find him? How did you find that business partner? Uh, he's actually uh, referred to me um, by someone at my workplace. Actually he used to play football, college football um, at the same school with him and thought, 
Um, it would be good for us to connect because uh, he was looking to be active and he's younger and, um, you know, we just hit it off and we started acquiring properties and uh, doing well. So you've done, you've said a couple of things here that are definite trends that I've heard from others. Number one, uh, going way back in your, your, your day, you recognized that you were not a product guy, you were more of a service guy. So getting to really know who you are, what kind of things that kind of, you know, light up your insides. And then number two, you recognize that you were more entrepreneurial than you were say the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those people who need that consistency. Uh, we could use them on the LP side of things or the limited partner side, people who want to be passive investors who really don't want to be, you know, in the throes day to day. That's fine. You can leave that for the GPs or the general partners, those that are taking on the deals, but then you could be a passive person. Um, sure. You also, that, so am I, am I right about that? Oh, hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> Good. I like that. I like that. I love that answer. Love that answer. <laughs> so, um, and then another one is that you found a partner. Why, why, let me ask this question. Why did you think that you needed a partner? I mean, because you're buying a two, you know, two, a duplex, a duplex, a duplex. Did you really even need a partner? Uh, yeah. So the reason we needed a partner, at least I needed a partner because I didn't have the money to do take down larger deals. There you go. That's num number one. But also number two was it wasn't enough for me to leave a W-2 and, and pursue this full time. Kind of at the start, even with the first 10 unit, the second 10 unit at all. So um, we were both, he would, you know, he kind of oversaw the management while I was still working. And then on the weekends I would help manage. So it was a perfect balance. So he was, uh, he was, he was not working. He, you just, were referred to him by someone at work. He just didn't work with Retired, him. retired. He was retired he and now he's active with our business. There yep. you go. He's got the gray hair. Uh, I think, I forget who it was. I think I want to say Shakespeare. It was said, trust the guy with the gray beard. So, um, you know, not that they have to be gray, but that they're seasoned. Again, they've been in the business. They know the business. They may have access to capital, things of that sort. That may be a, a way um, to be able to do that. Again, I've mentioned before, even on this podcast, I believe, and in conversation, um, I ran into uh, last year, ran into a, you know, group networking conversation when I was at uh, Michael Blank's conference. And uh, I didn't know I was talking to Neil Bauer. <laughs> yeah, great guy. Um, I didn't know I was talking to Neil Bauer and he was just like, you know, you need to partner with someone. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm an operator. I'm one of It's like, no, you really don't know the business, you know, partner with somebody who knows. And again, that's another, another, uh, another rule that's out there. Uh, let's see you. Also a great guy, Neil. Neil. Yeah. Um, really, really, really smart. Uh, you went to, you've got 200 units under management. You've got 60 that you're tackling. So is your sweet spot like the 50, 60 kind of thing? Because some people go straight to the hundreds and hundreds of deals and things of that sort. But My opinion, well, I, you, there's a lot of value, I think, that's off the table. Or that gets, that's a lot of meat on the bone that, that, that's on these 50 to 100 unit buildings. Even though they're a little bit smaller, I would say the middle market, our average deal size is 5 to 20 million. It's been on average like 6 million, give or take. Um, so that's kind of like right in the middle. You're not really competing with the institutions. You're usually buying from generational wealth or mom and pop ownership where there's a lot of upside for professional management to come in and, and increase rents, make renovations, decrease expenses. A lot, of, a lot of value. That's what we look for. So it's harder to find that, in my experience, with some of the institutional product 
um, that's 500 plus units. Um, and you're buying at really low cap rates on those. And usually, I mean, I, I personally, we, we bought deals in the 10 caps in New Jersey, you know, so you don't see that too much today, but no, um, no. at all, but <laughs> yeah. with, with upside, you know, I'm not with talking upside. on it with upside. So we usually always buy for in place cash flow um, to begin with. And uh, you know, I would say that a lot of these, I'm sorry. I apologize. I keep uh, interrupting you here. I, I want to make sure the other people who probably don't understand, you know, industry lingo, as we say, you know, we can kind of explain that. What is in place cash flow? Yeah. So in place cash flow. So I mentioned the word cap rate. So if you were to buy a property all cash and it was at a six cap and everything goes, the revenues and the expenses stay the same as what you originally thought they were going to be, you would make 6% on your money. That's, that's what it is. Um, it's, it's just one metric to use to evaluate real estate. There's many different metrics, but that's, that's the main one. So what's your going in yield on, on your investment? And usually there's leverage involved. So you're not always just going to make 6% because sometimes you'll borrow at 2 3% on that 6%. Right. So um, that's, it's just a metric. That's all. Cool. So how, how are you doing your underwriting? Are you using uh, Michael Blank's uh, syndicated uh, deal analyzer? Yep. Or, okay, cool. That's yeah. a, it's another, um, good tool, another great tool for people to use. Yes. Okay. Yes. I have my own um, uh, former companies as well. It's a little bit more too complicated for multifamily. Um, Michael's is, is, is good. Um, there's a few others that I, that I used as well, um, but Michael's is pretty good. Cool. So you're in the New York, New Jersey market. I know some people were kind of scared of that because, you know, there's rent control, I believe, in New York, right? And sure. and also, too, you know, the numbers happen, happen to be a lot larger and they're not getting 10 caps or whatever. So what's your secret? I mean, I, you don't have to give us all a divulge, but everything. But, you know, why New York, if you don't mind me asking that? Yeah, so um, so we own in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um we don't own in New York City. We don't own in the boroughs. Um, we own outside. We don't own all the way upstate either. We own in some like on the border, like Orange County areas. So um, there's no rent control in those areas. Um, in New Jersey, the areas where we own, we don't own in Hoboken. We don't own in Jersey City. We don't own in Union City. We own kind of like in the middle of the state. Um, there's no rent control. Uh, and then same thing with the areas in Pennsylvania, you know, where we, where we own, there's no rent control. So um, I would probably never buy a deal with rent control. And if, if it has rent control, it has to be very, very limited. Okay. So, I mean, we're in the middle of COVID and you guys have just closed on another, what, 60 some units or, or how many? Units 64. Yep. 64 units. I, talk to me about this. I mean, we're at uh, the time of this recording is, uh, July of uh, 2020, uh, yep. we probably are now four four or so months total as a country in, in COVID. And a lot of people have been really concerned about buying. Some investors are on the side. What made you all feel so confident to go and tackle this deal during this time? Yeah. So as I went back to before the in-place cash flow, the cap rate was very, is high. It was, we had it even before COVID and it was off market and the value that we picked up the property for was if they brought it out officially on the market, it was probably 10 to 15%, um, you know, lower 
than if they, you know, listed it with a broker like yourself in the first place. That's why we were attracted to it. It was just seven cap with, um, you know, 20, 25% upside in the rents day one. So, and we already owned in the market. We were, the 50 unit building is right next to this building. So you have the economies of scale, um, per unit pricing was low in comparison to the comp still, it just still made a lot of sense. Um, and because you were is, already there, management, you could share management because I'm pretty sure you don't have on-site management. Exactly. So now we have, now we have on-site management because we just hired, so actually yesterday we just hired somebody to take over and like we just saved $20,000 on payroll for the deal, you know? So there's value that we're able to add just because we're already in the market. If this was a new market and uh, I probably wouldn't be as gung-ho with that, I'd be more cautious, just like you said, with the sidelines. Um, but this was a different situation. Cool. Well, you, you guys are definitely doing it up like gangbusters. Um, <laughs> so someone like myself, you know, uh, we're, we're still, you know, waiting to hit that, um, get that one or that first property or whatever that is. What are some of the lessons learned that you think uh, a new a potential operator or GP should do or learn. Yeah. Um, like you said before, don't be afraid to bring on partners, even if you're giving up equity or whatever it is, even if you have to give up something, it's not the, it's really not the worst thing in the world. It gets your foot in the door. Um, you know, don't be greedy. Uh, just make sure you, you, once you get your foot in the door, you start producing, um, you, your life will turn around. So at Got least it. your real estate investing, life will turn around. So that's, um, that's a piece of advice. Don't be afraid to partner early. So when you talk about partner, are you bringing on, you're talking about bringing on additional GPs? Are you talking about just, uh, okay, cool. And yeah, how many, well, go ahead. I'm talking about that uh, GPs or joint venture partners, however you want to structure it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't take on limited partners yet, at least from a, you know, um, on a, on a large scale when, you know, 20, 30 people in the deal when you never, never had any experience really before. And if you're bringing them in somebody else's deal that has experience, then, then yes. But, um, you know, don't, don't try to do that unless you, you know, have somewhat of a track record. So then next question, what about, um, wow. Cause you mentioned don't, bring on a bunch of LPs if you haven't dealt with them. So in terms of your, your systems right now, doing asset management, we've been you know, talking to some other companies. And things like that. So what, if you don't mind that, what type of things are you doing with asset management and or investor relations? What kind of systems are you using? Sure, it's really important to have your systems. So um, for investor relations, asset management, we used InvestNext. So they're relatively new-ish. Um, there's a bunch of companies out there. I'm sure you're aware of, Jonathan. Um, yeah. But Invest, Invest Next is a newer one. They're very flexible with the pricing. They don't kill you with startup fees. Um, they charge you per investor. So it it's, depends on how many you have. And it's, and it's not that bad. Um, and then in terms of property management, make sure you get your software, accounting, um, all that in place. We outsource our accounting to a third-party company. Um, but Bill VM is like the property management, collections, et cetera. Um, okay. I think I forgot to mention, Jonathan, we, we self-manage all our properties. Oh, uh, just cause, okay. yeah, just because why, we're so why, why did you choose to self-manage? Uh, it's more of a track record thing. So, um, I think if we third partied some of the management on a couple of these value add deals, I would be, you know, scared 
um, just because I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't know what they were doing half of the time. <laughs> and, and especially when you have value add deals where you're trying to go in there and raise rents, sometimes we're raising rents like 40% and you have to have that conversation with the tenants. You have to, it takes the right person to do that. I mean, like I'll personally have that conversation with my partner and, and we, we've been successful. Um, so I, I, it's not a job I would, what's that? Okay. So, so, so take me into, cause okay. As it, there's a couple more questions that are here, but, but that one is like sure. jumping on me right now because sure. right now within our country, uh, you know, I'm from the Washington DC area and you know, there's been a lot of gentrification, right. You know, where investors have gone into specific areas and, you know, they've made they've done their thing and then they've driven up you know, the rents significantly, I think 40% is not, uh, not incidental. Generally, you know, in single family homes, we're talking about a 5%, maybe 10% increase, you know, yearly. And that's what people, you know, kind of look at, but going to 40%, um, what help us understand number one, the conversation that you're having, are you sending a letter first and then are you sitting down? And then I want to go ahead. I'll, I'll stop there. Are you sending a letter for us? So a couple of things. I know it's, it's, it, might, it might sound bad on the surface, but when we always buy a building, we buy it for in-place cash flow and we look at where the rents are. Sometimes these rents haven't been raised in 15, thir- sometimes 30 years they haven't been raised. So for someone paying $800 for a two-bedroom apartment in a, in a decent area in New Jersey when the market today is 1500 that's a reasonable conversation to have. And usually what we do is we do offer a discount to more. If, if that, if that is the case, which it has been on a bunch of our units, um, we do, we'd always offer a discount because if they say no, they got to move. So where are they going to move to and what rent are they going to pay when they move? It's going to yeah. be more. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and there's no rent control. So, uh, we always, you know, offer, them a slight discount to where they were would be if they had to move out and we always offer improvements say hey how do you like your kitchen you know do you, is there anything you'd like us to improve like your countertops are they good you want us to come in and put some granite in there especially if the rents are that high you're able to spend a little bit of money on the units uh, would you like us to change sometimes they don't want you to do anything um, you want us to help you paint like that there are certain things that we don't just go in and say hey we're going to do this here's why and we always list out the comps we always um, list out um, what improvements. We walk every single unit before we close. We always list out what we think they might want. You know, you need new blinds. I saw all your blinds were screwed up. You need new blinds. We're willing to do that for you. Um, so as long as you're willing to work with the tenants, uh, yeah, it could be pretty challenging. It could be a shit. It's definitely a shock to people. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's also not because they know they've been getting the deal for many, many, many years. Um, so, and we try to, you know, we try to work with everybody too. So depending upon the situation. So you truly are improving the asset and you truly yeah. are working with the tenants and things of that sort. Yep. Absolutely. I want to ask a question, but I don't think it's fair. So I won't, I won't go there. Um, okay. Uh, you can ask I, it though. You, okay. I'll, I'll ask it. So, you know, uh, a lot of times when, you know, investors are in, in these areas, and we're, you know, forcing appreciation because you're putting in a granite countertops and you're doing all this and you're showing the comps that are in the area and you could potentially, again, be displacing people. I mean, how do you feel about having the moniker, potentially the big bad guy? Uh, sure. 
who's who's yeah who's that's a good question so, yeah sure so no absolutely so if that if that happens to be the case um we help them we help them find a new place um we give them some sort of guidance guidance we have you know many different assistant pro you know assistance programs that we have relationships with to help them you know help guide them to new places we have many different relationships with realtors that um you know even if it's not the same town hey how's the town over you know is it two hundred dollars less than what this town offers um we always try to help them i i've actually relocated tenants from within our building like if they're if they're renting a two bedroom they're like you know what i don't even need a two bedroom anymore give me a one bedroom you know i'll relocate them there so we always we always work with the tenants and um we've been fortunate to not even be um i I see exactly what you're saying to, to like be put in like the big bad landlord light at all just because like Sometimes what I see a lot in, in the cities and particularly with DC, they just send a letter out and they say, Hey, here's your rent increase. Right. You know, and we actually like call them and we say, Hey, how you doing? You know, I uh, want to get to know you a little bit. Um, you know, what, what how, how's the apartment, anything you want. A lot of landlords don't do that. So you so, actually care. That's the key. You actually have yep. care and it's, it's not a, a facade, right? Um, it truly is, you know, at the heart of what you're doing. And I think by you self-managing from the beginning all the way until now, you've been able to develop that acuity to be able to have that, that caring, uh, empathetic, you know, uh, ear that some other investors may not necessarily have because, again... I don't see it at all. Yep. Yeah, I'm just sending you a letter and just going out there. So to, to kind of, you know, latch on to that care, you know, within COVID-19, you know, with all the pandemic going on, what have you been doing? What are you guys doing right now to, you know, to care for those, those tenants that are in your business? I mean, what, what, what are you seeing? What kinds of things that, you know, are you doing at the tenant level? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we've been pretty fortunate with our collections. Uh, most, for the most part, they've been north of 95% every single month since COVID hit. Um, so we've been very fortunate. There are a few, you know, straggling. Um, we worked out payment plans uh, with the tenants who are kind of catching up. There's not many of them. Um, and typically the ones, typically what they're doing is they're just paying late. Like they're paying for, let's say they're paying for July on like July 23rd instead of July 5th, you know, like they're still paying um, because they know that this is, this will be over the COVID and they know that the last thing they want to jeopardize is the roof over their head um, at at that point in time. Um, You know, we've, we've worked out different arrangements. Like like I mentioned, the downsizing from one unit to another, if there's vacancy for a cheaper price. Um, So we've always, it's always situational. Um, Are you providing... I'm sorry, are you providing like mass uh, and other access to resources? I, I know that some yeah. other landlords are doing doing that. Yeah, so we send out we sent out a, a mailer on COVID resources when this first broke out. Um, you know, uh, we sent out a letter like, you know, no big gatherings for, you know, a couple months, whatever, you know, indefinitely until we know what's going on. Um, and pretty much everybody's been complying. We haven't been offering masks. We've been suggesting it. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been, I've instructed all our supers to clean the hallways a little bit more than they should sanitize. Um, so, you know, it depends on how many units you have also, I think. Um, we have, you know, our units are, there's like 10 properties within those units. So, well, the 200 units right now. So, um, 
you know, it's a little bit different than like a 200 unit complex. So um, each super is directed to do something, something different. Okay. Okay. So then some investors and some, you know, apartment owners are also seeing COVID related that there is a cliff at some point in time, you know, right now, some people are saying that the rents are, you know, artificially inflated and propped up, you know, because of the government programs that are that are out there for unemployment, et cetera, which I believe end at the end of this, this month. month. Yep. Yeah, July 2020, uh, when we're recording this, I mean, do you see that as well? Or are you optimistic, you're bullish moving forward, or are you bearish, you know, moving forward? What, what are your my thoughts? My opinion is, and we don't need to get political here, but my opinion no. is that they're going to, yeah, they're going to do something. And the, I, my, it's my opinion. I, nobody knows, but I think they're going to do something. It's not going to be six hundred dollars, but it's going to do. It's going to be something. So, um, but let's say they don't do anything. Let's say it's not extended at all. Um, I do think we're still in a good spot because my price points, in general, are around eleven hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. And I think. And where is that in the market in terms of rents in general, the areas that you're in? Is that on the high side or, you know, because. No, it's in in, it's in line. Um, It's in line. But you get also, you know, where we're investing, at least right now, is anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour out of Manhattan. So I've seen a lot of people kind of gravitate towards where we where we um, uh, have the properties just because it's a lot more affordable and they're working from home now. So they don't need to commute. so, so I do think we're, we're, we're definitely benefiting from it. Um, during COVID, my leasing is still the same as it was before. Um, actually, it, it, it ticked up. Uh, my rents haven't gone down. They actually ticked up. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it depends. It, you have to really understand what you're buying in the first place. I, I wouldn't buy a class, A luxury apartment building at a five cap. It, it's Why? just with, with no upside. It's, we're always, we always look for the, those workforce housing situations. Um, there's a problem in this country on workforce housing in general. Um, how many units we have to build per year or uh, renovate um, to kind of keep up with the demand, um, even after COVID or during COVID. So it's the thesis is there. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, uh, fortunately, to my knowledge, not many of my tenants were laid off. I know maybe say 5% of my tenants were laid off. Um, so it's not a crazy number, not a huge. Uh, some of them were furloughed that reduced hours, uh, but they're still able to afford a thousand dollars. Got it. Rent. Got it. So, so then, well, thank thank you very much. I mean, no one has a crystal ball. We hope that there is going to be something uh, to help uh, everyone out, you know, with this, and especially moving forward, you know, as you know, a lot of the experts are saying that you know, come fall, winter it's going to be a little challenging on a lot of different fronts. It'd be great to, I guess, have that um, to support people having, if you will, a roof over their heads. Um, I guess I want to, I want to say thank you again for, for joining us, but um, what I, my last question would be, I have a couple more, but um, yeah, go ahead. what, what, I guess, what are you looking for? You know, what's your, what's your next move? I mean, you mentioned that you, you, you you have now, you know, you close to 64, you're about 200 plus units. You're looking for another 60 in September, but, you know, are you still looking in that 50, you know, so range? Are you looking to break out? Are you looking to consolidate? You know, what, what, what is the, I guess, the business plan for you guys moving forward? You know, yeah. Sure. And that, that's number yeah. one. Yeah. No, great question. Um, 
It depends on the deal. I think, um, I mean, I'm looking at a hundred units, like a hundred unit deal right now. Um, uh, oh, I, I think he is New York, New Jersey yeah. area. You yeah. see that market? Yes. Okay. Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm looking at the markets that I know in New Jersey and New York, but so, um, but I'm looking at something in Florida right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable looking at a state. Got it. Um, and that's coming, that's partnering with somebody else. Uh, so, um, again, kind of goes back to partnerships. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, investing where you know is key always. Um, and then, you know, if you want to get out of market, make sure you partner with somebody who knows, knows the market. Yeah. Um, so what happens after, who knows, um, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but, yeah. uh, I think we're on a, on a good path. Cool. Well, how do people get in contact with you to be able to, you know, uh, potentially partner with you in the future or, you know, sure. ask you, pick sure. your brain a little bit more. <laughs> how do they get in contact with you? Sure. Yeah. So you can actually um, download, we have a special report on our website. It's uh, how to leave your nine to five through financial independence. You can download it for free. It's a, it's a, it's a little report. It's like, I think like six pages. Um, so we offer that on our website, rednightproperties.com with a K. It'll pop right up and put your email in and you'll get it. And then you can actually book a call with me from our website as well. Um, if wow. you want to learn more. There you go. So this is uh, Anthony Scaridone. Scared. I don't know. Uh, you were so good. <laughs> okay. Scander Eoto. Sorry. Um, I, I messed it's it up. It. I messed it up. I was almost there. I was almost there. Almost there. Almost, Scandariato. Almost there. Scandariato. Thank you so much, Anthony Scandariato. Um, Thank you, Jonathan. Us. Uh, this has been great. Uh, we've learned a lot. Um, I guess one of the last things that you mentioned before is, you know, focus on workforce housing. Um, there's a, a need uh, there. That's the, you know, generally the BC class uh, type housing. It's not the, you know, the shiny, shiny brand new type properties where, you know, the cap rates are very low and there isn't very much upside. Um, partner, partner, partner. We've learned partner as much as you can. Um, don't focus necessarily on the passive investors. Focus on those other active investors who may have already done the deals before, may actually have the cash. Uh, and don't be greedy. Um, give up as much as you can in the beginning so that you learn the process and move forward. Uh, in their model, they don't outsource uh, uh, management. They keep that in-house. And so they have proper management systems in-house to be able to deal with those things. Um, so many different things that, uh, that he mentioned. And uh, I, I welcome everyone to reach out to Red Knight Properties and download that special report and get on the phone with Anthony uh, as soon as possible. Listen, thank you again. And um, we'll be talking soon. <laughs> That's good, Jonathan. I hope so. Absolutely.